Alistair often wrongly credited with the invention of the Christmas card. But the first bunch of these was actually dispatched in 1843 by Sir Henry Cole, who went on to be responsible, far more than Albert, who again took most of the credit, for the great exhibition of 1851. And then there was Dickens. But for him, our traditional Christmas might have remained a royal idiosyncrasy. It's thanks to him and above all to a Christmas carol, that we know how Christmas should be celebrated. It certainly galvanised the Victorians. Upon finishing a Christmas carol, the reclusive philosopher Thomas Carlyle was seized with a perfect convulsion of hospitality and actually insisted on improvising two dinner parties with only a day between. Cue Jane Carlyle's very amusing letter about her struggles to prepare the turkey. Like the Carlyles, we may ourselves fall somewhat short of the ideal. Or, like my Uncle John, we may go well beyond it. Let me explain why. Everyone has their own idea of Christmas, based very largely, I suspect, on those that they remember from their childhood. With increasing age, the annual celebrations become somehow less important, if only because one's gone through so many of them that they all seem to have telescoped together. To a child, on the other hand, and particularly to a child as ridiculously lucky as I was, Christmas was a wonderful thing indeed, looked forward to at least since the previous midsummer. For the first decade of my life, up to the beginning of the Second World War, it was always spent at Beaver Castle, the home of Uncle John, Duke of Rutland, my mother's older brother. Even now, the scale of his hospitality astonishes me. The entire family will be there, including those of his four siblings, together with several more elderly relations, mostly, as I remember, bachelor uncles and maiden aunts. Nearly all in those days would bring their valets and their ladies' maids. For lunch and dinner, there would thus be twenty or more grown-ups in the dining room, with perhaps a couple of dozen extra in the servants' hall over and above the countless staff of the castle itself. And then there were all the children, with their nannies and governesses, divided between the nursery and the schoolroom, perhaps another twenty altogether. All told, there cannot have been fewer than fifty or sixty extra mouths to feed, most of them for more than a week, since we nearly all stayed over the New Year. The excitement began on around the 20th of December, with the arrival from the cellar of our house in London of several enormous cabin trunks to be packed. Looking back on it, I'm staggered by the sheer amount of packing that took place, every item meticulously wrapped in tissue paper. By the time it was finished, on the 23rd, it took two men to carry the by now unbelievably heavy luggage down to the waiting taxi, in which my parents, my nanny and I took a taxi to King's Cross in those days still grey, cavernous and caked with grime, and boarded the train to Grantham. It would be pitch dark by the time we arrived at the gas-lit station, where two huge Rolls-Royces lurked, ready to receive us. On to these, with the help of a regiment of porters, there was no shortage of them in those days, long before wheelless suitcases had been invented, the trunks would be slowly and painfully loaded, and off we went. To a five- or six-year-old, still unused to being out at night, the twenty-minute journey was wildly exciting, 
watching the rabbits scuttling away from the headlights, and then suddenly catching one's first sight of that tremendous floodlit castle, standing high and immensely impressive on its hill, visible for miles from any direction. Ten more minutes would bring us to the immense door from which a short passage led to the entrance hall, known as the gun room its walls bristling with swords, spears, and blunderbusses, with, in its centre, the tree. And what a tree it was! In my memory, a good twenty feet high, gloriously decorated, piled with presents and lit with real candles, a hundred or more of them. Liveried footmen, in dark blue tailcoats, with brass buttons gleaming, stood around holding long poles with wet sponges on the ends, ready to act in an emergency. And then at last to the bedroom that I always shared with Nanny, warmed by a roaring coal fire, no central heating in that...